All right, everybody, if you could find your way to a seat. My name is Steve. I'm one of the elders here. You're familiar with me, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone because we, I can't get through this all by myself. Many of you know Asagie. This is a funny thing. Asagie, before he just says, let me teach you how to pronounce my last name because I don't know if you've ever pronounced it right. And I'm like, why would I start now? <laughs> how do you pronounce your last name? Igile. Okay, everybody take notes accordingly. How, yeah, phonetically, how you would do that, I don't know. Um, I, I had to bring Asagi up here because, I, you know, as much as uh, you all respect me and who I am, as a doctor, as a trained professional, I thought I'd bring another doctor up just to bring, you know, this associate. Now, if, if you have a medical issue, you, you definitely want to call Asagie. If you had an issue with an obscure Greek word, you'd probably still be better served to call Asagie because I don't know anything, but I just have some letters after my name. By the way, I have, I'm having some allergy problems right now. Can you solve this for me? After service. Sweet. All right. So if we struggle with that uh, throughout the service, it'll, it, it'll be something that we know will be remedied. It makes me excited. Um, we, we will be continuing this morning in our series called Behind the Series. And what, behind the series, behind the scenes. And what this is, is a series that we're doing in the New Testament book of Acts. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. I have a blue Bible. Osage has his pagan device that digitizes this. Acts chapter 6 starts uh, page 774 in your blue Bible. Um, and this actually, part of this is interesting. We're going through the series in Osage. We're out to lunch this summer, and we had a conversation that stemmed uh, around some of the issues that were uh, really that we will talk about this morning. And then, you know, the more we started to talk about it, I was just like, well, dude, I think you really need to join me as we talk about this text. So we're going to go on another journey in the book of Acts here. The beginnings of the church is what we're exploring. And most importantly, this is what we've appreciated about the book of Acts, is that it's a book that is very transparent. So not only do we see all the amazing things that God was able to do through the church, but then we also see some of the faux pas, and I think those are the lessons that today it helps us to hone in on. So Asagi has agreed to read our text today for us. So we are in Acts chapter 6, friend, if you will read verses 1 through 7 is where we'll be focusing today. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochus, Nacor, Timian, Permanus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, 
and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this is a small text in the book of Acts. It's one that we would generally probably tend to ignore because there's not much to it, right? It's like, look, there was a problem. They made a solution to the problem. Let's just work it and move on. And you'll see the connection here, by the way, with what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to introduce Stephen um, who is my namesake, by the way. So, like, Stephen, my mom and dad named me after, like, the first Christian martyr. And I'm like, well, that's, that's exciting. But here's the thing is that this text introducing who Stephen was is basically the result of a, a solution to a problem that existed. So notice that what they said is like, look, there's things happening, and we're not on top of everything. We need more leaders. Let's appoint more leaders and let them go. If you read through most commentaries on this text, that's what they focus on. But very few of those commentaries, quite honestly, are written by people who are not white men. And therefore, I think they overlook what right here is a hidden systemic issue that the book of Acts presents to us. Is what was this problem that was first right here for the church that they had to solve? And that problem was that there were widows that were being fed and some that were not being fed. And understand that this was part of the call of Jewish culture at this time because the scriptures demand take care of the widows so the church was like, we're going to follow that command. But as they followed the command, they followed a more Judaic part of that, which was we take care of our own. So you see that there's the Hebraic Jews and then the Hellenistic or the Greek Jews. Now, even though they would have worshipped the same God and had some of the same principles, quite often the biggest difference is that they would have maybe appeared different and then also have spoken a different language. And there were prejudices and biases then between people who were pure Hebrew and those who were only partial Hebrew. So what's usually fascinating to me, it's fascinating to me, is that usually what has happened is that the commentators, com commentators just glossed over the fact that there was an entire people group who were being, uh, who, who were, uh, who, who, to whom other people held prejudices just because of their background. Now, it's funny, when I was reading some of these commentaries, the reason they don't talk about it <laughs> is because they're like, well, you know, it, it really comes off as that it was, it was not an intentional mistake. You know, it's like the church really didn't know that they were being prejudiced. But then I'm like, does that actually matter? Because if our prejudices show themselves, uh, we need to grapple with it. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is that we're going to grapple with it as a church. When we were talking back in the summer, Osagie, um, you were talking that at, when, in your work at the hospital, as you're able to do some group continuing education things, they're like, hey, you happen to be the black medical person here. Why don't you talk about racial issues? And you're like, it's not about racial issues. And actually, the issue that you like to hone in on is an issue that is called implicit bias. Can you help us understand this morning uh, your understanding of implicit bias and, and what that means as we live and act? Uh, sure. Um, so, like uh, Steve said at the hospital, um, maybe a little nicer, <laughs> they asked me to... Uh, Did I say it really harshly? Um, not, not too harshly, but, you know, okay. it, trying to be fair to my uh, bosses at the hospital... And also something that I'm passionate about. You know, I think um, implicit bias is an important topic, and I think it's important for all parties involved, not just for minorities or for those in the majority. I think it's 
it's a gospel thing, and then we're going to explore that more. But to answer your question, um, a lot of times when you think about prejudice, I think our culture has trained us to think about it in an explicit form. And so we are used to seeing, you know, forms of discrimination that are very uh, either in your face, you know, the clan, uh, hood, cross burns, things that were like, okay, yes, that is bad, that's evil, we all agree that's wrong. But a lot of times we don't think about the ways in which when maybe we actually don't intentionally mean to discriminate, end up discriminating. And this is something that's been studied and called implicit bias. And what that means is that in our minds, we're not necessarily trying to be discriminatory, but when we look at the evidence of our actual actions, we actually are seen to be discriminatory. And in the field of healthcare is really important and something that we've known about because we have a lot of studies that show um, doctors given different levels of treatments, for example, pain treatments with like opioids, mm. uh, based off of a patient's racial background. So uh, in a situation where both patients rate their pain exactly the same, um, a white patient might get more uh, medication to help with that pain rather than a black patient. Mm. And um, even furthermore, for myself as a pediatrician, because you think, you know, okay, maybe we look at adults a little differently, but kids, you know, kids, that's different. But, you know, one of the studies that uh, I looked at when I was giving this talk to um, the residents at the hospital actually showed that when we looked even at kids, that uh, African-American kids compared to uh, non-black kids get less pain medication. Mm. And, you know, obviously if you ask a pediatrician, like, you know, are you trying to discriminate against, against this black child? They're going to say no, but in practice that actually comes out. Now, one of the things that you provided, which made me excited, is you provided a bar graph. <laughs> because I love me some graphs, man. Now, obviously, from where you are seated, the, the text is very, very small. But basically, do you want to walk through this? I think you can explain it even for people who are far away. Or Yeah, not, not a problem. So um, this graph comes from a study that was done by, I think, Dr. Tiffany Johnson, Pennsylvania. Um, she was looking at... Uh, residents in an emergency, pediatric emergency room. And so these are residents that were from pediatrics, emergency medicine, hospital medicine. And uh, they took a test called the implicit association test. It was created by Harvard as a way to kind of gauge your level of subconscious bias. Hmm. And so what this graph shows is um, the percentage of bias based off of um, based off of uh, the levels on their implicit association test. So um, on the uh, y-axis, that's just like a percentage of residents. So the higher the, the bar, the more residents are in that category. On the x-axis, we have two different color bars. So the brown bar, that is actually for, I think, pediatric patients, and then the uh, pink bar, that's for uh, adult patients. And so you have three groups of bars. The lowest ones to the left of the graph are pro-black bias. So that's for residents who were more biased towards black patients. And you can see that those are really short, so not a lot of residents were in that category. And then the next uh, set of bars in the middle, that's for no bias. Those are for residents who showed no difference in the way um, they in their bias towards black or white patients. And you can see that's you know, a little bit more, but we're still like in the teens in terms of the average numbers there. 
And then all the way to the right is the pro-white bias. And um, there we can see we have pretty high numbers. And they actually kind of even first subdivide into like slight, moderate, and strong bias. And we can see that, you know, our moderate and strong bias are our highest groups. And to kind of make it easier for non-scientists, uh, what they saw was that 87% of the residents, no, 85% of the residents um, had a sh either a moderate or strong pro-white bias for adults. And then in the pediatric population, 91% of the residents had either a moderate or strong pro-white bias. See, and this is why when we were having this conversation, I found it so fascinating and apt because of what this text says. Because when we talk about the church, we like to make certain assumptions about what it means to people of faith. And if we did a survey here today, I'm sure if we said, are you racist? And, you know, I'm sure nobody would be like, ooh, 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 me. We wouldn't admit that because you're like, no, in no world am I racist. But then what we don't understand is that we do have biases that can reflect not just how we view certain situations and see them, but sometimes those are undercurrents to the actions that we take. And unfortunately, this is a, a situation with which the church has continually struggled because it's an awkward topic, right? And that's why, you know, you could even see in that first exchange, with the first thing when like Asagi has talked about this, and he's like, I wouldn't phrase it that way. And I'm just like, okay, drop the bomb on that one because I stick my foot in my mouth. But because sometimes we're even paralyzed by saying certain things, it keeps a prohibitive movement toward positivity for us to be able to admit our implicit biases and to be able to act on them. So, so, and this is why we had this conversation, right, is because if this cannot happen in Christ's church, among people who have unity in Jesus alone, that there's no distinguishing characteristic except one's adherence to the teaching of a humble man from Israel or Palestine 2,000 years ago, if we don't have the ability to have this conversation, where can we have these conversations? And that's your work within the hospitals. What you're trying to see is that this not just has a bearing on what we do, but actually has a bearing on the actual health of kids. I don't know, that, that, just, that just hits me. Anything, you, you, anything I said that sparked anything before we go... We've yes. got places, but. Um, <laughs> lots of places, um, but no, you're, you're right, you know, and I think, you know, that's one important part of this work for me, because, you know, it's not just about um, talking about it to feel bad about it, because I think, you know, and this is something I address right off the bat when I talk with uh, my colleagues, because there are a lot of conversations around diversity and race. And, you know, honestly, sometimes I feel bad for some of my white colleagues. I can see, like, once, you know, the topic comes up, a lot of them are just like, oh, okay, again, you know. And it's like, let's talk about how white people are bad and how <laughs> white people are evil. And, you know, and honestly, I can understand it. Like, if you're going to talk about a problem, you need to have a solution. There's no point beating people over the head with, quote, unquote, how bad or how evil you are and not providing a way of escape. Um, and I think another thing that's important, you know, about this topic, and this is actually the way I usually start my conversation about this topic, I tell people that anytime you're about to have a conversation that makes you feel uncomfortable and you get that uncomfortable feeling in your belly, that's really your body preparing you to learn. Hmm. Because, you know, as a doctor, if I walk into a patient's room 
and they have a medical issue that I know completely about, I'm very comfortable with, I'm not uncomfortable. It's like, oh, it's a walk in the park, you know, okay, we need to do X, Y, Z, this is what's going to happen. But if I walk in the patient's room and I don't know what's going on, the patient does not look well, the parents are uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable, then I know that, okay, I'm getting ready to learn something because mm. clearly I don't know what, what's going on here. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to a topic like this. You know, I feel that a lot of times when you feel uncomfortable, that's really your signal that, okay, you don't know all that's going on right here, and it's an opportunity to learn and grow. Mm. I don't usually do book recommendations in the middle of messages, but I think it's good. I just wrapped up Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking with Strangers, and I'd highly recommend that because even though – there is a racial component to it. It also just talks to how we interact with people that we don't know, that we sometimes either extend too much trust or we extend complete doubt in somebody, and these are part of the individual biases that we have. So again, I, man, I appreciate you even saying that because I think it's the thing. Why are we talking about this? Is it just because we're trying to put a good guilt trip on all of us? No, it's trying to say, can we look in the mirror and admit our flaws as human beings. And again, this is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus because the ability for us to admit that even though we follow somebody who's perfect, we are not. And in our pursuit of him, we have to look in the mirror and understand the flaws that we have to grapple with and ask for forgiveness. A couple examples. We were talking about this uh, earlier because when you talk about this within your colleagues, there's a couple different examples that you like to mine in on. And one is medical school white coat. Why don't you explain that to us? No problem. Uh, so medical school white coat, um, probably the most you know, recognizable status that you're a medical student is your short white coat. Um, and so a lot of times medical school, you wear that just so that you're recognized as a medical student. Um, at my medical school, there was kind of a culture of not necessarily having to wear it. Because, um, you know, after the first few weeks of medical school, it kind of gets old. And it's like, if you don't really need it, you don't need to wear it. And so you just wear your name tag and you go where you need to go. But given my uh, peculiar demographic, black male in medicine, not very common, I, you know, would go places where I was supposed to be, you know, I would have my name tag clearly on my chest. Um, I think the one example that I remember clearly was, you know, I was walking to the psychiatry ward, and, you know, I had a, a nurse stop me and ask me if I was supposed to be there. Hmm. And it was just like a really odd interaction, because I'm like, if, it, if you took two seconds and actually just looked at my chest, and like, you know, the second or so to go from my face to my chest, like, you would have known that I clearly was supposed to be there. And, you know, it was a situation where I was like, yes, like, you know, and I showed her my name tag because, you know, as a medical student, you try not to escalate things because your grade is what you care about. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was odd. And, like, I remember, you know, seeing the nurse later on, uh, a couple of days later, and, you know, she comes over and she tries to make small conversation without necessarily recognizing um, the bias I was involved in her action. Um, another situation, I remember late at night, I was trying to go into the medical school to go study, and I was, you know, going into uh, the building, and a lady was walking out. And so as I was going in, she, like, stopped in the hallway and, like, kind of blocked my path and asked me, like, if I was allowed to be there. And, you know, it's one of the situations where, like, you know, you're thinking through your mind just – 
of all the different ways this can go wrong. And I think another thing that's important to like recognize from at least my point of view is that sometimes you ask yourself, like, is this really happening to me? Because you don't always want to ascribe to people racial bias, racial motive. But then, you know, you talk to the other students who look like you, and they say, well, this happened to me too. And you're like, oh, okay. And so for me, part of being a male student is that I just wore my white coat. Because I was like, you know what, even though sometimes I'd rather not have to wear it, it's a lot simpler just to have it on if it gives people a quicker visual cue than my name badge to know that I'm supposed to be in the places where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. I'm just letting that resonate because this is in a field of highly educated professionals who you would think, and I think there's also a paradigm that many of us hold is like, well, you know, it's, it, it's really just ignorant people who are uneducated, not highly educated professional people who harbor these types of biases. And it's just not, it's just not the case. It's indistinguishable based upon where people are in station in life. And I thank you for sharing that story, but I, then I keep thinking about me as far as saying, do I, am I that? Do I live my life in such a way where I'm the one who is gladly serving the Hebraic widows while the Hellenistic willows, widows go hungry? You have another illustration there. Are you setting me up with this? Because this one, because this one is the monkey story, and I just feel like this is, you are like going to set me up to look really bad by asking these types of stories. There's got to be something here. Um, Do you well. see how awkward <laughs> everybody else was in the audience that we've made them at this point? Is they're like, that's just, you can't even do that, Steve. You gave me this, so tell me this story. Um, so this is another uh, interesting story. So, as a resident, we do these fun shifts that last for uh, 24, 28 hours. Um, and so this was one of my fun 24-hour shifts. This was probably at that point in the day, I want to say 19 hours into my shift. And so we had this patient come in um, who uh, was, and I'll try to be HIPAA compliant by not giving too much detail. Thank you. Um, but let's just say they had certain issues um, and I go into the room to see her, and, you know, I'm going through, you know, my doctor history, asking questions and all those things, and, you know, she stops me halfway through the history and goes, oh, you sort of look like a monkey. And it was like, I was really taken aback, and I was very happy also that there was somebody else in the room with me, because mm-hmm. I was like, this is an situation that could go south very fast. Mm-hmm. Um... Given that that was my patient, so I stopped and told her, like, and, and I guess another thing about me is that my face is very expressive. And so, you know, she saw from my face that that was definitely not an okay question. And so she said, oh, I'm sorry, like, I was joking. And I was like, okay, I ain't find that funny, but because you're here, I'm going to be a doctor and take care of you. And, you know, that went on. And, you know, there are stories like that that happen you know, every once in a while that, you know, just they have the propensity to almost get under your skin. But I think that's where being a follower of Christ, you know, because in that situation, I I thought to myself, like, I could get mad and I could say something back. But in my position of authority, my words are actually probably a lot more damaging to her 
than her words would, would be to me. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. One of the reasons that I've appreciated when Osage was basically he was pitching me his slide deck as we were we were out to lunch one day as I was like it's not just about okay we identify the issue we we address that it exists but then you always make sure it's not just you know let's make you feel guilty let's let's try to find some solutions that you can enact in your life so that as biases uh, possess you or even the ones that you don't even acknowledge so that we can try to grapple with them. And I, I don't think this is yours. I think it came from um, another expert in the field. Uh, it, did you create spice or? So the actual um, mechanisms I did not create, but I did um, create the acronym okay. to help me remember. So, so, so see, no. that's why is that you could, so that's why. Yeah, so you're trying to get in on my preaching gig. <laughs> like, you can only be doctor of one thing, man. I'm sorry, I'm kind Bringing of Bringing acronyms right here. Why don't you walk us through? <laughs> so you, so I dropped that. So, so, th- so this was uh, geek talk that you made, like, really yeah. down to earth. Seriously, well, that's what I do. You're just, you're honing in on this. I'm really angry about it, well, but it's well, okay. You see, what doctors do, like, the way we remember a lot of things is that we make lots of acronyms. And so, you know, I probably can remember SPICE without having the acronym SPICE. Great. Well, you, you know what? I hooked you up in case you can remember. I actually put the words on the screen, too. So okay, can we get... Perfect. Dylan, can we get the letter S for SPICE? What is that? So S stands for spend, as in spend time with uh, members of the out group. And what so, do you mean by that? So it's really simple. Um, kind of like the example from the Bible. So with the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the group that has the power and the social dynamic would be the in-group, and the group that does not have the power and social dynamic, it will be the out-group. And so in the United States, in terms of race, Caucasians would be the in-group, minorities would be the out-group, or even in another situation, I think this is also important to bring up, for example, gender. So mm. males would be the in-group, females would be the out-group. And I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's important. So Tinder accounts as spending time with out-groups for people. Oh, come on, people. <laughs> I'm just trying to forget it. It was a, dang, dude. See, it's a heavy room. I'm trying to lighten it up, and it didn't help. I mean, Sorry, you were saying, yeah, now that I've ruined that flow. So I, I was going to just bring this up because, you know, this is a heavy topic, but I think one thing is important because um, I think as when you're a member of an out group in this situation, there is a tendency or the temptation to get in a place of self-righteousness, mm-hmm. right, because – you can be like, my group's a group that's wronged. My group's a group that needs uh, um, reconciliation or what's the word I'm looking for, um, that needs redress. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one thing I always remember is that I'm not just one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in different parts of your life. You're either a member of an in-group in different places. Mm-hmm. And so, and this comes important from the other steps in SPICE, is that you have to be able to, use your experience as being either a member of an in-group or an out-group to address the way you approach um, people in front of you and you approach different uh, situations regarding bias. That's that's good stuff. And, and, and to add to this too, you did, I was trying to just interject a little levity when we're talking about gender and being, you know, within that dominance, but also what maybe we see here in this neighborhood a lot is social economic. So for us just to be able to say, hey, sometimes there are people who are under-resourced, under-privileged, and 
us actually trying to say, what does it take time for us to be with those types of people to make sure that we continue to see the potential for biases? I think that's a great point. The next one. Yep, and so when you spend time with people, it's easier to actually learn their perspective. You know, and that's kind of part of what we're doing today is that, you know, Steve is, you know, having me spend time with everyone here to learn my perspective. Because, you know, when you see the perspective of an outgroup member, it changes the way you look at the issue. You know, I might have, and, you know, part of the reason that I'm probably, maybe even, I won't use the word lean, but I think more balanced about the issue of race is that I think, you know, I've spent time talking to a lot of people about it. And so I, you know, and maybe I should step back a little bit. So in college, one of my best friends, um, or let me say best friends, one of my good friends, uh, name was Megan. She's now a uh, prosthesis engineer, smart lady. Um, but she was from the Northeast, um, Massachusetts area. And, you know, I remember we had this great conversation about race. And she was like super sweet, but she pretty much told me that I was like her first black friend in her life. And, you know, this is after 18 years of living, you know. Up till then, all of her images of black people have been through the TV. And so, you know, understanding that, like, there's only so many assumptions I can make about her behavior, you know, and I feel like I have to be a little bit um, more understanding to where she's coming from because maybe some things she does um, are not actually done out of malice but are done from a place of just not knowing and so there's that place of understanding the perspective and also works obviously for, you know, people in the out groups. And so when you see, you know, certain people in, for example, using race, because that's kind of the, I think, the baseline topic we're using today, if you see that, okay, it seems like a lot of black people feel really strongly about this issue, rather than just, you know, saying, well, I don't understand why you feel strongly about this. No, like, actually get their perspective, hmm. you know, because maybe there's some things that you just not seen or some piece of information they just don't have based off your experience that they have based on their experience. Very good. Letter I stands for? Individualize. So racism really is you know, um, a way of your brain having a shortcut. You know, Our brains do this all the time. It's the way we're able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Like we learn shortcuts for different things. You know, we we, if we had to constantly think about every single action in our day, it'll be, life would be even harder. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so what racism is a lot of times is just laziness. So it's like I have this trait that I apply to a group and I don't, you know, therefore my brain doesn't have to work hard to make individual um, evaluations of people in that group. You know, so. you know Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky call it heuristics. Hmm. I just need to be smarter than you about something. <laughs> but it doesn't fit your acronym either. Then it's like, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll have to look that up later. Yeah, there you go. Steve for the win. Um, I've got a bar graph that I can show you later. But what you're saying is, but that is the thing, is that yeah. the, what, really what prejudices often are is our mind making groupings to quickly determine situations, exactly. shortcuts. Yeah, so. so what we have to do is rewire the shortcuts by trying to deconstruct the groups and make it about the individual. Exactly. And so, you know, and 
I think this, you know, maybe we can we can jump a little bit ahead with things. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus in the Gospels is that for all the times he preaches to the crowd, there are so many stories that he takes the time to sit down with the individual, hmm. with the one, and treats their case specially. Hmm. You know, and I think that's just so important. You know, it's especially in a culture where we, you know, are left and right. Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, we are so grouped to assi- so quick to assign people to groups mm. that we don't really actually listen for nuance. Mm. And so, in order to, you know, treat people well, to love people and have empathy, you have to be about the individual. You have to be able to sit there and learn what what's happened to them. You know, to use an example, if one of no my I could try and talk to one of my, you know, Caucasian families whose kid is dying of, you know, cancer in the uh, hematology oncology ward and be like, well, you know, you really need to care about implicit bias. Like, it's a big issue. It's like, well, you know, it's still an issue, but, like, I need to understand that right now. Like, that's not probably what's on their mind, Mm. you know? And so being able to individualize issues and to think more than just, you know, in broad strokes, I think that's very important. So good. The C stands for? So C stands for counter, uh, I think, contrast. So I'm glad you didn't know everything. Well, I was going to say count, counter example. Okay, I'll, I'll work with it. So contrast. Con- contrast. So contrast is kind of what I said. So once you meet an individual, you actually have a counter example because the way – Biases works. Biases work off stereotypes. So, you know, their stereotype is, you know, uh, to kind of throw another story in there. So, and actually, hematology oncology story. Mm-hmm. So, I was going... Wait, one more time. The what, not who did what? Oh, hematology oncology. Sorry. Yeah, we were all tracking with that. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Hem- hematology oncology. So, cancer um, patients. So, one... Thank you. You could have said that, but it get, we'll keep going. <laughs> So, Did you notice how awkward it is right now? Like, they're like, can we laugh? I don't know. You're allowed to laugh. That's it. Thank you. Uh, and so I was going to go see a, a cancer patient as part of a team. Uh, I was on a team with senior doctors, so those the most senior doctor, a doctor below their doctor, and then I was, you know, below the doctor was below the doctor, so to, to make things more complicated. Um, and so I had to come meet those doctors in the room to already seen the patient. And so I walked in, and the mom goes, hey, no, thank God you're here. You're here to bring the linens. And then it got really awkward because I had to then introduce myself as doctor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she felt still really bad about it. But, you know, it's one of the situations where, like, as a black male, you know, being a doctor actually then kind of in ways makes me a counter example to the stereotype because a lot of people in hospitals are used to seeing a lot of black people in that space mm. as either the cleaning staff or as you know, genital services. And so I'm actually aware of how my presence in these spaces with that badge on can sound can stand as a counter example. And that's something that you can take, you know. Mm. You know, it's actually that I used a lot because especially in my early 20s, um, and maybe late teens, you know, I thought a lot about race, and I think I was at a point in my life where I had to decide if it was something I was going to be angry about or if it was something I was going to let the gospel win over. Hmm. 
And one of the things I did a lot was that whenever there were issues of race that got me annoyed or angry, I thought about all my white friends who were amazing people. And so rather than saying, well, all white people are just evil, I would say, no, I know these individuals. And mm -hmm. I held them up in my mind as counterexamples to then overcome whatever feelings I was having. And so you can use this technique you know, when you see a black man walking at night and you think, hmm, maybe this dude could rob me. And, you know, maybe he could, maybe maybe he's not. But, like, then being able to realize what your mind's doing, that you're having that stereotype rise up in your mind and holding up a counter. I'm like, well, I know Sagie, I know these other black men who were upstanding. So let me actually just play out this situation, how it's going, versus just letting that stereotype be reinforced in my mind subconsciously. Hmm. And the E in SPICE stands for? Exposure or expose. And so, you know, that's actually another part that we're doing here is that now that you, when you have the, those counter examples, what you can do with friends, with family, is then expose them to those examples. Because a lot of times, you know, people don't have those examples and so feel comfortable in sitting in their stereotypes and sitting in um, their biases. And so when you can say, well, you know, not all white men, not all white women, not all black men, not all black women, not all Asian men, not all, all Asian women, like bring out those examples and challenging those stereotypes and forcing people to think when they just want to act. Mm -hmm. And this is what I love about this conversation. I think it's so powerful is that we see that I, I love that Osagie is using his ministry through medicine to be able to help other people see this. But at the same time, just need to think that we can look at the Bible. And again, here, here's what I believe is beautiful about the book of Acts and about the scriptures is what the scriptures does. It, is, it does expose us to realities that we want to gloss over, but that are very, very central to us as followers of Jesus. And that is the idea that even the people that Jesus chose to lead the church and to make sure we exist today had biases and they succumbed to them, but it didn't mean that they defined them. And then as we continue to rest, read the rest of the New Testament's there, so this is an aspect of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, to be able to perceive what it means for us to see other people as God sees them. You riffed a little, but this is one thing is that, that this is the part when we were talking about this made me so excited is that usually my job is to like bring it back to Jesus because that's, you know, you always bring it back to Jesus. You've already done that because you wrote like a whole thing is like, this is where I see Jesus in this. So if you could give us like the, the 30 second, one minute pitch, okay. where's Jesus in this? Are you going to look at your notes? I'm going to look at my notes. I don't you did riff. really, man, you <laughs> riffed without notes way better than I do with, but, uh, Go ahead and, and, and do that. How, how, you, how, how does Jesus um, just really shine through this issue and how we move on? Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think what's really amazing when you, when you kind of break down the gospel story is that we are the outgroup, all of us, all of humanity, and Christ and his kingdom is the in-group. He did not need to come down. We were at fault. We were outside of the covenant. But Jesus chose to enact spice with us, quite literally, came down in the form of man, spent time with us, took our perspective, 
treats us as individuals. He speaks individually to every one of our hearts. He holds us up as counterexamples to the Father and says, Lord, look at these ones. They love me. Humanity is not all lost. And he calls us to show that to the world. And so I think, you know, when I look at the gospel story, it just, you know, gives me hope for this issue. Because I think one of the things that I actually have a hard time with when I talk to a circular audience at work is that I give them the steps for spice, which are shown to work to a certain extent, but the true power and underpinning of this comes through the gospel of Christ. Because the Bible says that all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. I feel that, and, you know, trying, I'm trying to get into the whole liberal conservative thing, but medicine is a general liberal field. And I've, part of maybe my bias is that I think in liberal culture, there's a lot of sense of where there can be a sense of righteousness over things like race or identity politics. And where, when I think about it, no one is righteous, you know. And so I don't feel like I can lord anything over anyone else. And so that's where, you know, the gospel comes so beautiful because the gospel lets us know that plainly and that we all have need for a savior. And it's, it's through our savior that we can then learn to truly love each other the way that God has intended. Mm. I love that. The apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, there's neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. We're all one in Jesus. And that is the message of the gospel. And I think we should be encouraged that even though that message is central to who we are, we sometimes mess it up. But there's always a chance for redemption. I appreciate you. I thank you for sharing. I hope this is a good time for us as a community. And I hope that this conversation doesn't end at the conclusion of the service, but we can continue to grapple with these things as we try to continue to follow Jesus. Can you pray for us? as we wrap up this part of our service. Sure. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have demonstrated through Jesus what you would have us do. You have shown us your love and you said that, and you, Lord Jesus, said that as the Father sent you, so you send us. And that by the love that we have for one another, all men will know that we are your disciples. So, Father, I pray right now for Echo Church as a community that you teach us how to love one another in spirit and in truth, and you teach us how to be embodiments of your love to the world, that even in a culture where division is celebrated and, uh, and sometimes promoted, that we can be a source of unity, that we can show how to bridge the gap how to bring reconciliation. Because your gospel, Lord, reconciles us back to the Father and reconciles us back to each other. And so, Lord, I pray for these precious people, all of whom you love so deeply and intimately, Lord, that they will be encouraged by this message. I pray that none will leave here with their hearts down, with their heads down, but will feel empowered, oh God, by what they've heard to walk out in love. And so, Lord, we say thank you. We love you. And we praise your name. Mm. Amen.